Hello and welcome to Women of Silicon Valley, the podcast. I am your host, Kendrick Umstadt, and today I'm very excited to be joined by Clarissa Buchan. Clarissa has an absolutely incredible resume helping grow Box and Optimizely in their early days before joining Google right around the time of the birth of her first child. Now, in addition to being Women of Silicon Valley's editor-in-chief, She manages Google-wide partner strategy for the company's largest, most complex partners. Clarissa, thank you so much for making time in your busy schedule to be here. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) So since you're one of the amazing team members of Women of Silicon Valley, I want to start out by asking, what is Women of Silicon Valley to you? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I would say, to me, Women of Silicon Valley is really a community of people that represent the incredibly wide variety of backgrounds and perspectives that make up the technology industry. Um, I think when people think about this industry, there are a lot of preconceived notions about who belongs and stereotypes about you know what a quote-unquote techie is. And in reality, I think those the stories and the experiences of the people that work in this, in this industry are actually just incredibly rich and, and really complex. And so um, I think I see Women of Silicon Valley as a place to really highlight those unique stories. And hopefully, you know, it contributes to a sense of belonging and inclusion um, for all those who are part of our community. So, yeah. That's really great. And kind of what what was the thing that allowed you to find out about Women of Silicon Valley, about Leia? How did you first come across it? Yeah, so I met Leia, I guess it was two years ago now, or maybe even three. Yeah, maybe it was three years ago. Um, I'll have to look back at the exact date. But she, at the time, was um, running Women of Silicon Valley as a project on her own. She had just um, come to Google, I think, a few months before. And she was looking for people to come and help her out with this project. Um, So she uh, posted something on one of the women's forums at work. And I was immediately drawn to just the mission and, and the idea and also the amazing community that she had already built as like a one woman show at that point. Um, and so I met with her and had a conversation about her. And I think we really connected. Um, I had a, uh, yeah, I just had a lot of enthusiasm for the work that she was doing and was excited to be able to contribute. I'd also had a long-standing interest in um, journalism and storytelling more specifically, but had never really made a career out of it. And so um, this was a fun way to get to exercise that muscle um, while helping to build this really wonderful community. Definitely. And it's it's been even in the kind of about a year that I've been with the team, just amazing to see the progress and the new stories and the new groups that we're able to highlight now. Do you have um, one compilation that was particularly exciting to get to work on? Yeah, I. Um, there's one that really sticks out to me. I think when, when I started at Google, I think you mentioned this in the intro, but I was a new mom. So I had just had 
my first daughter, um, and she was about four months old when I started. And then I had another, I had my son about a year and a half afterward. And so one of the things that I learned over the past few years is just the incredible, um, the incredible amount of, I think, strength that parents in this industry um, have. And so I was really excited to be able to contribute to a compilation that we did, um, not this past Mother's Day, but the one before, which was our Mothers of Silicon Valley compilation. Um, And I sort of put a call out to a few different women's groups that I'm a part of to see if there were people that were interested in telling their stories. And just the... um, the breadth and the um, the variety of perspectives and backgrounds that we got of all of these women that are um, that are mothers and incredibly career oriented and um, goal driven and also managing such different unique challenges both at home and in the workplace. I think it was it was really an honor to get to highlight those. So I would say that's probably one that was memorable to me because it hit really close to home. Um, and it just made me super proud of, you know, our community. I was looking through that compilation recently and it's, it is really incredible. And I have just endless uh, admiration for the work that you do balancing like being a very hands-on mom and then also just doing such an amazing job at work. Is there anything that you've learned in order to maintain that balance and, and have so much energy and commitment to, to two spheres of your life that could easily, you know, take up all of your time on any given day? It's a really good question because right now we're, (laughs) um, I'm not sure when we're going to air this, but right now we're in the middle of the the COVID related pandemic. And so right now it's a hundred percent full time trying to do both things at the same time. And I think um, it's, it's tough. I think, I don't think it, it's easy, um, but I have learned to, um, adjust my own expectations of myself, both at work and at home, where I was, I'm by nature, very much a perfectionist. I like to get everything done the right way, et cetera. And I think one of the things that being a mom and, um, a working mom at that has taught me is just to, um, to be kinder to myself and to um, adjust those expectations so that I can feel fulfilled in both places without feeling like, Oh, I could be doing more. I should be doing more either as a mom or in my, in my work. And I think just um, having an understanding of what I can and can't get done in a given day um, has been really helpful to me mentally and just, um, adjusting my expectations as such. So, you know, I can't, you know, I can't be with my kids all, well, right now I am, but I can't be with my kids all day, every day. And so if I can't, then how can I make the time that I'm with them really quality time? And how can I really make sure that, um, that I'm making the most of that? And I think the same goes for work. If I can't be, you know, working, in the evenings as much as I could beforehand, then how can I make sure that I'm as productive as I can when I am, um, in sort of work mode. So I think that, um, 
yeah, it's I, it's been a lesson in sort of adjusting my expectations and also being a little bit kinder to myself. Um, and yeah, it's not, but it's never, it's never, um, it's never easy. <laughs> And I think that that's something that, especially right now, when there's so much uncertainty and everyone's having to shift their perspectives, there's there's a lot more thinking along those lines of how to how to be kinder to oneself. And it is so easy to when a friend comes to you and says that they're you know struggling with with not meeting the typical standards that they're used to meeting. Like it's a lot easier to be nice and supportive for a friend. And so it's an ongoing process to give that same kindness to oneself. So yeah, yeah definitely. And I, I think I also have realized over the course of making some of these adjustments that I'm, and a lot of people say this, but I really am my own worst critic. And so where there were times where I felt like I'm not performing to the best of my ability at work, and I was really hard on myself about that because there were things going on at home in reality, like in having discussions with the people that I'm working with and with my own manager, et cetera, I think I've realized that I'm actually being much more harsh on myself and my idea of what the expectations within my role are than than I really have to be. And so um, I think, you know, understanding that, um, yeah, that perspective has been helpful as well. Do you have like a go-to saying when you get into that sort of um, negative self-talk rut? Like I, I, with myself, will always remind myself progress over perfection. If I'm, if I'm feeling like I haven't reached that level of having everything done at the mm-hmm. highest level, I'll say, okay, no progress over perfection. This is still progress. So do you yeah. have something like that or a little a mantra like that? I don't, but I like that. I, um, I will do some thinking on that. I don't have a, a specific go-to, mm-hmm. uh, but I'll, I'll do some thinking on it. <laughs> <laughs> and kind of along those lines of, of making progress, but not trying to reach the end goal immediately um, and I'm sure this has shifted given um, the just kind of global shifts. But do you have specific goals for 2020, either personal or professional or something you're excited about working on? Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting year uh, for sure. I think the goals for this year are now very much um, very much related to the situation that we're in. I think there's three probably that come to mind. I think one is um, having a focus on gratitude. The situation that we're in right now, there's a lot to be fearful of. There's a lot to be anxious about. There's a lot of uncertainty. And one of the ways that I've been mentally getting through it is trying to maintain this perspective of gratitude and thinking about the things that I am grateful for, because there are some... um, you know, there are some silver linings that, and the more that I look for them, the more that I find them, you know, I think we were talking just before we started recording this about some of those, like, you know, being able to connect with old friends that I haven't spoken to in a long time and being, being able to spend time with my family, even though it's not always easy to be together this much, um, trying to enjoy that time because we won't get it back. And, um, so I think having a perspective of gratitude is probably one of my big, goals for this year, especially in light of the current circumstances. 
Um, another one is a focus on community. I think one of the things that this crisis has really highlighted is the importance of community, especially uh, now that we are, um, you know, it's it's so much more difficult to connect with each other, at least physically right now. Um, I have seen even in our little town, we live in a small town called San Carlos on the peninsula in the Bay Area. And um, just the way that the community has been showing up for one another during this time is really wonderful. Like my, we had Easter recently and there was some community member that got dressed up in an Easter bunny costume and walked like miles and miles around the town so that the kids Aww. could see <laughs> and just like bring a little bit of joy to the families on that day. Um, but all these little things that make me really grateful for the community that we live in. And um, one of my big goals for this year is just to figure out how I can be a more involved person within our community and how I can sort of give back and make an impact. Because I think I personally on in my day to day life get so caught up in work and kids and social stuff. And um, it's it's something that I have not prioritized over the past few years and something that is a, is definitely a focus for me over the next, over this year um, and in the future. And then the third one I think is self-care because uh, that's something I'm traditionally really bad at. Um, I, uh, yeah, with things moving as quickly as they do, it's just not something that I have prioritized. And so that's the other um, the other area that I think I'm going to be focusing on is just what are some things that I can do for myself um, just to make sure that I'm able to keep, you know, my mental clarity and um, to show up as best as I can for the people around me. So that's really great. And that that also then is something that helps you feel more fully yourself in the other situations you have to be in, whether it's work or whether it's parenting. So that's that's wonderful to make 2020 the year to focus on on those self-care goals. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Although I will say I I have that on my list every year. <laughs> but this year I am planning to make progress. So we'll yes. see. <laughs> <laughs> Just one step at a time. Like even if it's even if it's one thing, yeah, then that's that's progress towards that goal. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like in this situation I think one of the things that's been really overwhelming is just obviously we're all in very tight quarters and one of the self-care items that I've really prioritized is just every morning taking a 20-minute walk to myself around our neighborhood just no technology no music no podcasts no nothing just like walking around for 20 minutes and just sort of clearing my mind and um, having that opportunity to be with myself has been incredibly beneficial um, to, yeah, to me over the past few weeks. So something that I hope to continue doing even after this, this ends. Yeah, no, that's a wonderful one. I'm, I'm a big fan of starting the morning with a walk as a way to, to clear my mind. And so I'm glad that, that that's something you find is working well for you. Yeah. So we're going to pivot a little bit and go into they, your answers do not have to be rapid fire to this, but this okay. is the, the rapid fire Q&A section just because they're, they're kind of lighter questions. Um, so even though you just mentioned going on a morning walk without technology, yeah. what app do you find yourself using the most? Oh, 
I would say because because I work for my phone a lot, I would say Gmail is probably <laughs> probably the number one. But for personal use, it is probably a toss up between Instagram and the podcast app. Those mm-hmm. are probably the two that I spend the most in. Do you have any favorite either Instagram accounts or podcasts that you enjoy going to? Yeah. Um podcasts for news I I listen to the daily every morning which which I love um and I've always I've been a very long-standing Radiohead or sorry Radiohead Radiolab fan Radiohead too um (laughs) Radiolab fan so Radiolab and This American Life have been my go-tos for a very long time so I would say that those are some of my favorites and then um Instagram I actually to make my to make cooking for my kids less of a chore, <laughs> I have an Instagram like family food account. Um, so a lot of my favorite things to follow on Instagram are like food, food related. Oh, nice. <laughs> have you tried a, a recipe that went particularly well as of late? We've been trying a lot lately. We made <laughs> um, butter chicken recently that went pretty well. Um, and then we've been doing a lot of baking, lots of cookies and cakes and banana breads and things like that. Mm-hmm. If, yeah. if your kids are at all into chocolate or flourless chocolate treats, I Ooh. highly recommend Alice and Roman's, uh, tiny chocolatey salty cookies. I think I got the adjective in the wrong order, but they are really easy to make and delicious and very much like flourless chocolate cake. Oh, that sounds delicious. Yeah. That sounds amazing. I'll you the recipe. (laughs) Please do. Yeah. The other one that we have made several times over the past few weeks is the New York Times cooking had a recipe for this carrot coconut soup that is amazing. And we bought like a huge bag of carrots (laughs) as part of this. Like that was one of our go-to produce items. So we have an endless bag of carrots from Costco in our, in our fridge. So I've been making that carrot soup quite a bit. So while everyone else was panic buying toilet paper and and hair dye, you went for the carrots. Carrots (laughs) Those are not as high in demand. Everyone needs the full fat yogurt for sourdough, but no one's going for the carrots. So that works out well. Um, So other than, other than baking, what, what is something small you do every day or week or month that makes you feel more inspired? You had mentioned gratitude earlier and doing, focusing on that. Yep. Yeah, I would say that's that's definitely one practice that I do daily, even just like lying in bed at night thinking about the things that I'm grateful for, um, regardless of how the day went. Uh, what has been your favorite place you've traveled? Yeah, so um, my husband and I have made it sort of a tradition to once a year take a trip, just the two of us. Um, without kids and our most recent one we went to Turkey and I would say that Istanbul is one of just the most fascinating places that I've been to Um, just the the food the culture the history was just amazing the art Um, so I would say that that's probably one of my favorites in recent memory and then um, I'll cheat and say one more but my family is from the Philippines. Mm-hmm. And so we also went to the Philippines a couple of years ago. And we, well, I've gone there almost every summer for much of my childhood. 
I had never been to this island called Palawan um, and we went there and it's absolutely beautiful. Like one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. Um, so I would say that's another favorite. I'll need to add that to my list. I'm thinking a lot right now about all the places I want to travel once traveling <laughs> is possible again. <laughs> I know. Uh, I know. We, yeah, we, um, we have a trip planned at the beginning of July that we're still on the, uh, oh. I'm like still in denial and haven't canceled it yet, but I'm pretty sure it's only a matter of time. <laughs> I'll keep my fingers crossed for you. I mean, beginning, beginning of July, there, there is a chance. I think that there's a chance that might happen. I'll I'll keep fingers crossed. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, So given your love for journalism, I had to ask what are your favorite news sources or publications? Ah, you know, news, I actually get a lot online now or, um, like podcasts. I think I mentioned the dailies and New York times, um, et cetera. But for publications that I really enjoy reading, I'd say probably the Atlantic is definitely one of my favorites just for like the depth of reporting that they go into. Um, I, yeah, I've been a fan for a long time. And then I also really just like long form. Um, so the New Yorker is also, um, another favorite for me. I think I could spend hours on either of those. (laughs) Those are, yeah, those are great. There's this uh, weekly newsletter called Girls Night In, and it's the one newsletter I really look forward to because it compiles articles of all different kinds, um, like just about kind of any topic under the sun from why it's a good time to adopt a puppy right now to, (laughs) to like comedy pieces. And so that's actually how I found out about the Atlantic more deeply as they had linked oh, wow. to an article on there. And um, yeah, so I highly recommend if you're ever looking for kind of a, a thoughtfully curated, but, but very uh, much touching different areas of reporting uh, newsletter. Oh, I'll have to check that out. That sounds fun. And then the, the last question I have since you're in such a tech focused space since we all, we all are, uh, what's your favorite analog activity? Yeah. Um, so I have always, since as far back as I can remember, have always, my favorite analog activity has been just reading actual books. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I would say that that is probably my absolute number one. I'm still a very avid reader. Um, so I, as bad as I am at self-care, that is the one thing that I do make time for, for myself every day. Um, at least for the 30 minutes at the least, um, before bed every day. But I would say, yeah, reading is definitely my number one activity. I could do it all day if left to my own devices. Um, yeah, outside of that, playing with my kids, we do a lot of going out for bike rides and, playing with chalk in the backyard and and things like that. So they have been a good um, exercise in making sure that I stay uh, a little, have a little break from, from the tech world um, built into my day-to-day life. Oh, <laughs> of the books that you've read recently, any favorites that you've come across? I'm reading a really interesting um, historical fiction book right now called The Last Days of Night that um, I have really been enjoying. It's about, it's based on historical characters, but um, 
but it's fictionalized a little bit. And it's about um, the relationship between like Thomas Edison and Nikola Tesla. And it's super fascinating um, because all of the, uh, I guess the way that I grew up knowing of these people um, is actually so different from the, um, yeah, getting a little bit more of an in-depth understanding of exactly who they were and what their contributions were. So it's been really fascinating. Oh, that's nice. I'll have to add that to yeah. my list. Yeah. It's good, good history lesson, although I'm still trying to figure out what's real and what's not real. So I guess I'll have to do some research <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> that could apply to, to more than just that book. Yeah. <laughs> trying to figure out what's real and what's not. Very true. Clarissa, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast. If anyone listening wants to read more about Clarissa, we'll link down in the show notes to her Medium Q&A. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And I'm excited about this new, uh, this new forum for us to be able to highlight additional stories. So thank you for putting this together. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Women of Silicon Valley, the podcast. Tune in next Wednesday for a brand new episode with our events lead, Jess Candido. In the meantime, rate, review, subscribe, and we will talk to you soon.